Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. Hey, Soil Cousins. How are you? I hope that you are well and rested and, you know, just preserving all that good energy, not just from staying out of the heat, but from, you know, like, you know how I feel when you mind your business and you take the high road and decide that you're not going to let shit bother you that shouldn't be bothering you. You know what I mean? Not, not succumbing to pettiness because, you know, sometimes people want to be petty and bugs want to be petty coming out and trying to eat up all your stuff and, and them little rabbits and all them other little, um, you know, pesky ass rodents. Remember, first of all, before you before you go there with the anger in the interest of preserving your energy. I'm Cola, by the way, in case. I'm sorry, I should have let with that. It's your girl, hostess with the Moses. You know what we do. You know the vibes. So <laughs> don't let... I came in hot, right? Didn't I come in hot? Um, it's me. It's still the same one that's been on all these episodes, like the same one. So hey... But yeah, don't let them rodents get to you. Don't let them bugs get to you. Just remember, they got to eat too. Before you get mad, before you start throwing shovels and and pitching fits, just remember that they got to eat. And oops, hate it when that happens. They got to eat just like you got to eat. But your conditioning about how your food looks, if you're not, you know, being realistic about things may still be linked to this kind of colonial ass concept of your produce looking a very particular type of way based on what you're used to seeing at the store. Remember that? Remember? Do you remember that psychology? If you know, you know that a lot of produce does end up going to waste uh, because it is not selected to be aesthetically pleasing enough to be presented at the grocery store, but like, F all that though, because we try to grow our own food, most of us who are listening to Black in the Garden. That is the whole point. When I started, when I said garden, it really is leaning more into the growing your own food thing. But you know, by now it's the intersection of horticulture, Black culture, all the cultures really as much as possible. And I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode because it was food for the culture with the homie KJ And that was definitely really, really leaning into the Black culture aspect of things, which, you know, it happens because we 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 just have so much to get into. And so that's exactly what we did. Now, speaking of things to get into, we about to get into this episode with Carrington. It has been a long time coming, but I'm so pleased to finally be able to present it to you. So before we get into that, I know Carrington and I discussed two things that I've really been thinking about a lot more, um, that being foraging, all right, and fungus. Both of them start with an F. You know, we love alliteration around here. Fungus and foraging, foraging, let me not. Tongue twisted, I just, let me try one more time, one more time. Fungus and foraging, foraging and fungus, that's it, I did it, I feel good about myself. So look, if you know, you know, but it will be linked in the show notes 
that I was recently featured in The Guardian, which is like, you know, pretty major publication. Um, it was the digital version. And, you know, that's still dope. I, it's still a, an accomplishment for me. I'm excited about that. But in that particular article, which, like I said, will be linked in the show notes, uh, it was a discussion about foraging and the legalities of it and things of that nature. And of course, many of us are familiar as well with the um, the viral sensation, the Black Forager on TikTok and on Instagram and, you know, the socials basically. And she was mentioned in that article as well. So it was really amazing to have been, you know, um, in, in an article where we both was, was named. So I'm very proud of that. And, um, you know, that's, linked in the show notes, but that is also a part of a digging deeper conversation that I'm going to be having. You know, I haven't had a just me talking, all right? Cola B talking, just me talking. I haven't had one of those episodes yet this season. So what I'm going to call the that series whenever you hear me is digging deep where I really kind of go a little bit further into a subject. So I'm looking forward to bringing you that um, but oh my God. So we got the kids on here last. They've talked to entomologists. They've talked to botanists. You know what I'm saying? We, I, we be getting into the science, but, uh, what are you about to hear in just a moment? It was a conversation that I had with the kids about the two things that I mentioned being foraging and fungus, because we recently had, our first experience as a family growing mushrooms. So I just wanted y'all to hear about that in case you were kind of thinking about it or wondering how that works. We did use a kit. I know that didn't come up in our conversation, but we did use a kit that we just kind of randomly found one day out shopping. And uh, it was a it, it was a wonderful experience. I definitely recommend that to all of my soil cousins. What's up? So um we were just talking a little bit about that experience and about what we're looking forward to when we do uh, get some experience with foraging. The kids love Alexis, the Black Forager. And um, just a fun little side note, because I would love to have her on the show. Still trying to figure out booking. Booking can be a pain, okay? When I say booking, I specifically mean more along the lines of scouting, as in uh, knowing a guest who I want to have on and being able to make contact with them and, you know, get them to actually uh, get scheduled to have an appearance, have a conversation. So the reason why I say that is very simple. Just go holler at her, whether it be comments or if you may have direct communication with Alexis, the Black Forger, hit her up and just let her know, A, especially in comments, because, you know, people need to see. It's, it's like free advertisement on the low, which I love. But just let her know that um, the Soil Cousins want to hear her on Black in the Garden podcast. So if you could just do that, that would be dope. And uh, speaking of support, you know we got options. We got options. Share the show, all right? Uh, share it with whoever you think you could share it with. Even if you don't think they might be interested, share it with them. You You might be surprised. They might be surprised. You know what I'm saying? We need more people to get into podcasts, especially podcasts like this. So there's that. There is also the website blkinthegarden.com where you can purchase 
podcast merch. We'll be adding some new stuff, some really dope stuff this month. And you can also support monetarily on a monthly basis for like the the price of a cute plant or maybe a pot or, you know, frappuccino, whatever. But you could certainly contribute on an ongoing recurring monthly basis by becoming a patron. And that link, all of these links are in the show notes. Patreon.com forward slash Black in the Garden allows you to support the podcast so that I can sustain myself as a creative who creates this content that you get to listen to for free. I'm excited for you that you get to listen to it for free. I'm excited to make it for you, but I'm even more excited to uh, look up and see, oh, new patron alert, ow. And so I will be sure to, in the very near future, uh, preferably in the very next episode, to make sure that I holler at Shout out all my patrons because I appreciate y'all so, so very much. And I appreciate all my soil cousins because you could be listening to whatever. There's so many ways that you could be uh, dividing up your attention. It's 2021, so many ways. But you're listening to this podcast and I do not take that for granted. Just want to make sure you remember because I will never not remember that. So I appreciate y'all. Tune in. I mean, not tune in, but keep listening <laughs> so you can hear my conversation with the kitties because those are my booze. All right. You know, rain or shine, fun or not fun. We had a great conversation and that's coming up right before this conversation with Carrington. Now, one other thing to mention about support. My bad. My bad. Just start. Let's remind a little bit. When you shop with our sponsor, Motherland Essentials, Make sure that you use the code Black in the Garden at checkout because that is how everybody keeps track of how support is going. All right. And of course, you want to save your 15% off of your purchase so you won't be smelling like outside. But we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Enjoy, enjoy, soil cousins. I will talk to you. Well, you know what time it is. <laughs> Guess what? We're back in the garden. All right. So we are getting ready for this episode with Carrington, where we talked a little bit about her experience with mushrooms and foraging. And we are very much looking forward to foraging sometime soon. We've been inspired by uh, Alexis the Black Forager on TikTok. We recently grew some mushrooms. And as I mentioned in this interview, I was inspired by Carrington. So by we, I mean the kids. You've heard them before. Say hey, Hi. kids. Hey. Hey. Oh, I thought you were going to say hey, kids. <laughs> so let's talk about growing mushrooms. What do you remember about that? They grow in the dark. What do you mean by that? They don't need that much light. Right. So do they grow better in a shady area or in direct sun? In a shady area. Do you remember why? There's a bunch of trees, so it's really t- shady. Exactly. So what we were doing when we were growing mushrooms, do you remember what kind of mushrooms? It was pink, pink oyster, oyster mushrooms. mushrooms. Ooh. 
Ooh, fancy mushrooms. So we grew some pink oyster mushrooms. And what we were doing by not putting, exposing them to direct sun was trying to mimic that natural environment that mushrooms grow in, right? Uh Mm Uh-huh. So what if we did... Okay, do you remember the difference between growing in a lot of sun versus more shade as far as what the color looks like? What's something else that you remember about growing the pink oyster mushrooms? What about the watering? I remember that we had a spray, a little tiny spray bottle, and we would just spread them about uh, seven times a week. No, 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 no. That's not what it was. How many times a day? Two. Yeah, it was twice a day. So we water them twice a day. We had to make sure that we didn't give them too much sun or not enough sun. And what was the other? Do you remember about air circulation? I remember something that we did with them. What? We put them in the omelet. Oh, well, you're skipping all the way to the end. That was after they grew. We didn't get to that part yet. So we made sure that we watered them twice a day with the mist. And with the air circulation, we kept them out in the open so that the air could circulate around them. Now, how fast did they grow? They grew, and I think it was a week. But when we first started growing them, did it seem like it was kind of slow? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then once we noticed that they were growing... And we would maybe see them in the morning and then we'd come back later. What What do you remember? They would be bigger every time. So they grew yeah. pretty fast. And you said you remember it only took about a week, maybe a week and a half for them to go from we first started growing them to full grown mushrooms, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they got a little too ripe. They got a little too ripe? What happened? How do we know that they got too ripe? No, he said too dry. Too dry. That's what I mean. How do we know they got too dry? Because we let them go for a long time. Do they look kind of crispy? Yeah. Yeah. But when we cooked them, we still cooked them. We still were able to eat them. And when I put some water in the pan with them. They were kind of foamy. They were foamy? I don't remember that. They They looked foamy. Well, when we cooked them, like you said, Irie, how did they taste? They taste kind of like meat. Mm. Yeah, they tasted like store-bought mushrooms. I don't think they tasted like store-bought mushrooms. They actually tasted very meaty, and they had a very, very good and strong flavor. Um, For those who eat meat, you could compare them to the taste of steak. Definitely... We enjoyed it. What, what, what would y'all say? Did you really like eating the mushrooms? What was your favorite part about the whole experience? Was it eating them, growing them, watering them, watching them? What was your favorite part? My favorite part was watching them. Why is that? Because I like to see how they got bigger and what and how they sprouted. Well, and how they looked when they were sprouting. I was going to say that, too. I really liked how pretty they were. We took some really cool pictures. I put them on my Instagram, of course. Oh, remember when we did that whole video? Mm-hmm. That was fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if somebody said, hey, I want to grow some pink oyster mushrooms, uh, what would you tell them? I would tell them to definitely 
not give them too much light and def and don't let them grow for too long because then they might get too dry. Yeah. Maybe we didn't water them enough at the end. Maybe, maybe that might be possible. And water them enough. <laughs> <laughs> so what about foraging? Uh, because this episode, we definitely talked about those two things. And I know that we have some experience with growing mushrooms. So we talked about that. And what do you, can you tell us what foraging is, Isis? Foraging is when you go to the forest or an open place and you get, and you just pick, um, what, and you pick wild food, food growing. Food. Yeah. Sure. Yes. When you, I guess the, um, maybe a, a more specific definition would be if you are going somewhere looking for something, looking for a plant that you need. It doesn't just have to be a plant, really. Uh, I know that. It can also be a fungus. It could be a fungus, right? Tell us a little bit about what you just learned about foraging. (laughs) (laughs) Something that you, who did we just watch? Uh, we watched the Black Forager. Oh, we watched Alexis. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel about that? Did you feel like you learned something? Were you a little bit surprised about what you saw? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I need. I meant to ask you another question when we first. I was started. surprised that we made Zello out of lettuce. No, that was seaweed. 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 I think. It looked kind of like lettuce, but yeah, you're right. So, uh, besides humans, what other, what, who else forages besides humans? Bugs and animals? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, they forage. Um, thinking about like bears going out looking yeah. for whatever berries. they want to eat, berries, um, even Cats looking for bugs and mice. Who? Cats looking for birds and mice. Cats looking for birds and mice. So humans forage, animals forage. It is just something that... It's natural. Well, humans are animals. So (laughs) this is something that... And it's natural, right? Exactly, Isis. It's something that we have always done as animals in order to... Live, survive. Yes, to survive. So foraging is... Not just something fun to do when you want to go and find some seaweed to make jello out of, or what else did did she make? She made um seaweed um, snacks. Seaweed snacks or mimosa syrup or something like that. Foraging is definitely something that has always been important for the survival of animals and humans alike. So I'm so glad that y'all got to talk with me about this. Is there anything else that you think we should know about foraging? I I think that you should know that you need to, you need to always be prepared before you forage because you need to you need to research about what you want to get or what you can get and not just go and pick random stuff cuz that stuff might be poisonous. That is a very good point. 
I remember seeing something about, well, I know it's many things that maybe they taste good, but maybe that'll be the last thing that you taste because after you eat it, you will die. <laughs> well, that's not funny. But yeah, so that was really cool how y'all were able to talk with me a little bit about that foraging and um, fungus, right? Our yeah. mushroom growing experience. We've been exploring, we've been learning. And are you looking forward to foraging? Yeah. Yeah. Cannot wait. What is something that you want to find foraging? Blueberries. I mean, not blueberries, raspberries. Raspberries. Not, like berries. No, like the black caps. The, the, the black caps. Yeah. Hmm. Mushrooms. Mushrooms? There's so many types of mushrooms. We'll figure it out. But until then, thank y'all so much for joining me. What do I usually say when we get done? Love, light, and soil. Today on Black in the Garden, we are joined by Carrington. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Carrington. Not enough to do her justice because she's a whole vibe. But Carrington is a plant hugger. She's a yoga instructor. She's also a cow hugger. She's a vegan and a foodie at that because her food be looking so good. I'd be like, girl, what? But back to the introduction. Uh, she's a forager, a crystal collector. And I think my favorite thing, an OG soil cousin. That's how we got connected. She's been listening. Welcome, yes. Carrington. Thank you for having me. Yes, I've been. I look forward to all the podcast episodes coming out. I have little notifications for it and everything. So it's always great to listen to your voice because your voice is very heavenly. To listen to. She tells me this all the time, y'all. And I'd be like, what, me? I mean, obviously, I'm using my voice in this medium, but it still kind of is like, it, it's disarming for me. But thank you for that. Let's get into our intro question so we can set the vibe and set the tone. Tell us how plants have added value to your life. Plants have added an immense amount of value to my life because... I need creative outlets and through learning about plants and how to cultivate them and how to look for them out in nature has given me a new purpose in my life. I definitely have seen myself in plants a lot more and that has been very exciting because I love thinking about how the soil feels but also how it is brown like my skin or how mm. when I take photos of my plants how complementary the greenery is against um, my skin or my smile but definitely like when I'm outside in nature when I go up to trees and everything because I am just like what you said a plant hugger I definitely go and hug some good trees I like when you go to the grocery store you slap the bag of rice or you go to the store and slap the bag of soil <laughs> I like slap a tree I do I'm that like, oh. You're like, oh, this is a good tree. <laughs> and wow. so it definitely has made me appreciate not only other lives, but my my own life a lot more. Absolutely. And you out here hugging trees, slapping trees, you're really getting involved. <laughs> yes. I do not shy away from being outside. I've never been the person to be like, oh, I don't want to be outside because it's hot and there's lots of bugs. And I'm like, I was the kid who was like squatting very deep into the dirt and digging things up and getting grass stains in my jeans and my mom would be upset oh. because I just really liked being outside. Did you get so, dirt in your hair? 
Yeah. yeah. My, my mama black girl that crying. And yes, and she always had my hair pulled back so that I wouldn't do that. And I never liked mud. I will say that I never liked mud because I'm like, that's just that's a lot of work to get out. But like dirt and grass and you know, like if you sit with a lot of flowers, the flower color will stain your clothes a little bit. I loved all of that kind of stuff and I still love it all. So you I'm just a really baby hippie. Yes. That is so I just could see like you as a little zen white girl sitting in a field of flowers and having stains all over your clothes and getting in trouble for that. Yes. And there's like a lot of folks. I was like the, I was the first child, like I'm the oldest. Then I was like the first grandchild and like mm-hmm. one time my family. So I was spoiled, which we like to say that instead of spoiled. I was well loved. And so yes. a lot of photos of me from when I was really young are actually like outside. Like either at the like local park, just with my my pigtails and my little carefully curated outfits, or it was like at the beach. There was just constant photos of me dressed up like that outside. So there were never like just Aww. only studio photos of me. It was clear that my mom enjoyed the outdoors as much as I did. She had to in order to have consistently brought you into those spaces. And so shout mm-hmm. out to your mom for. Undoubtedly, if you had been photographed in all these different places and your mom found it important enough to take you there, I could imagine by default that she also wanted to make sure that you had positive memories of those times in those places. For sure. Because there's like some places that I distinctly remember just because of my mother taking us there. And it's really funny because like when I look back at like certain parts of my life, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But recently I went to a trail up here in Northern Virginia and I just took a deep breath in. Like I slid my mask down, took a deep breath in and I immediately knew what the trees were. They smelled exactly like the trees I grew up around playing. Ooh. And I was like, I'm pretty certain these are, these have to be like elm trees and beach trees because like this is exactly how the park that I went to always felt like and that was a very endearing moment to experience and then like it's always funny to reflect on I thought it was maybe weird to have like earth signs for parents because I'm an air sign and so is my brother but for those of you who are into astrology you might really like this listening to this shout out to the wood soil cousins I'm one so like Venus the planet of love and all of that and of like high quality things that you like to indulge in and whatnot rules both the sign of That's Taurus. That's artisanal and, shit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It rules what now? <laughs> so it rules both the signs Taurus and Libra. And so mm-hmm. I'm a Libra. My mother's a Taurus. So it's really funny to look at me like, oh, we were made for each other. For her to really foster a lot of things that I enjoy. So being connected to the earth, like having plants, like we had houseplants growing up and also like traveling and experiencing new things. It was just meant to be that way. What you said is a gem and I'm going to tell you why. And this is for those of us who have small children or who are thinking about having kids and trying to figure out, well, how do I get them to feel the way that I feel about it? Not saying that our kids should mimic how we feel about things, but It's beneficial for everybody if our kids have an appreciation for nature and have an appreciation for the earth, especially if that appreciation lends to positive 
relationships with the earth and behavior towards the earth. And that's you all day. Like you are very much do no harm. Isn't that one of your philosophies? I grew up in the countryside of Southwestern Virginia. I was very aware of the natural world and like how, where we get our food from, how it's made. And then like we always traveled a lot all across the country. So I've seen like cities and different mountains and all that kind of stuff. And I remember like I've always just been in love with nature and with animals and making sure that other people don't suffer. When I got to be about 13, 14 years old, I started practicing yoga and I started reading um, yoga like philosophy. And one of the principles is ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And so I've taken that full force as like my main life philosophy to do no harm, not only to myself, but to anything else. That takes a lot of effort. Capitalist society. So it's kind of hard to be 100% ethical all the time. I just thought about that. I'm like, there's so many things that you don't know if they are doing harm or not that you're dealing with, but consciously you try to do no harm. Yes. And I try my absolute best. And I think that that's what people forget. It's not like, even if like you're just one person, even if you just do one small action, it's all about like, can you do your best at it? And like, can you do it to the best of your abilities? Because I would say, like, let's say there is some magical scale of like how ethical one could be, how kind somebody could be. You're never going to hit 100%, right? So why not just shoot for the 80% and that's the best that's possible for you? Like, that's just mm. it. Like, there's no point in me saying, like, if I'm never going to hit 100%, there's no point in me, you know, not cussing out the cashier at Walmart, you know? Wow. <laughs> like, just have some compassion and, like, do my best. And it also, like, it was really hard for me to do no harm to myself because it's a lot easier to be nice to other people than yourself. I've learned that growing up. You have to be very kind, as kind, if not more kind to yourself than others. That's a good point. Especially as women, we are socialized to be like people pleasing and to be polite for all these reasons that don't necessarily serve us. I guess I don't. One quote that I really liked recently that I saw online was, it is not my responsibility to live up to the expectations you have of me. I can just exist how I want to exist and move however, and I don't have to justify really anything to you. And for me, my caveat for anything I do, so long as it creates no harm, it doesn't matter what I do. And for whatever reason, that's just it. You can do whatever you want, be whoever you want. So long as it doesn't create any harm, you're probably good to go. And just you just leave people alone. You just live your best life. And I think that's a better way to approach a lot of scenarios. You have to decide, like, is there going to be harm done to me or to someone else in this situation? It's like when you set up boundaries, you don't ever have to explain yourself. But you can feel free to express yourself. I think that that's two totally different things. Very fun yeah. life. You can express where you're coming from if you feel like it. You should never feel like you have to explain yourself to justify, to prove, or to defend yourself. Because that's like a different mental state to be in. And that's like, yeah. that's not fun. But when you are expressing yourself, if you're saying, like, hey, please do not offer me any meat. It's very simple. It's no different than if I tell you that I really don't like peas. So if you put peas in the food, I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> it's just That's like, a good way to say it. Yeah, it's just a very simple expression. Them asking me, like, why 
I had to decide then, do I feel comfortable? Do I feel, have the even energy to explain why? And if I don't, I can just say, it's just, it's just a preference. It's not that deep. It can be that deep if you're willing, or if you're willing but like I always ask time. people, do you want the real answer? Or do you want to just maybe give me your plate without the meat on it? And then I let them decide because a lot of people tend to listen to respond. They don't listen to understand. Oh, and there's no point in me wasting my energy to go back and forth with someone. But if someone would genuinely want to have a conversation about anything, I am willing so long as I decide I want to express myself and not feel like I have to prove anything. You mentioned that you started doing yoga at 13 and now you're a certified yoga instructor, right? Yes. Did you manifest this? Yes. I was a classically trained ballerina. I played lots of sports growing up. It wasn't doing any justice to my body at this point. It's quite intense. Mm. So when we all are currently watching amazing things happen, so like the Olympics and stuff like that, you must know that the human body can only go for so much, do so much. So yeah. instead of doing physical therapy, I chose to pick up yoga. And I felt like that was a really good substitute. And I thoroughly, I just did it at home. I, didn't, I never went to a gym or a studio. I just did it at home on YouTube. And it was really, really helpful. And it was really cool to expand my knowledge about what I felt like, uh, what a spiritual practice actually is. Or could be, or at least like spending time with myself um, because that was like my me time to practice. And my mom was always very pro, like all of us, like my brother and I and her, we could be in different parts of the house and all have our own me time. Mm -hmm. And it was just a given. And they were always very respectful about that. So I loved practicing when I was young. And when I got right after I graduated from high school, I was like, I need to become a teacher. I really want to teach. That's when that started. I was like, if there's anything I want to do before I die, it's become a certified yoga teacher, get my 200-hour training, and I want to teach at least one class. And it took a really long time for that dream to come true because it is incredibly expensive. And like I said, 200 hours of training because that is full contact and non-contact hours. So I had to learn anatomy and the philosophy and the history and the actual physical practices and how to cue and how to, you know, find myself, like what style I would like to teach in. It was quite rigorous, but it was the most satisfactory thing I've done in my life. I mean, graduate college was fine. It was fine. I didn't really fine. care. Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. But like nothing was like my younger graduation. I felt like if the next day... I was going to pass away. I was going to die. I feel like I had a meaningful life because everything would have come together because yoga introduced me to um, the principle of ahimsa, which led me to being vegan, which let like, which wow. like combined my love for the environment and for the love for people because that was my whole thing about like how can I live an ethical life to help other living things have a better quality of life. All of it was going to come together. So at my 10-year mark of practicing yoga, I got certified. And that was like a full circle moment. Isn't that what that was? My goodness. I love that. And so yoga is, of course, a lot of it has to do with mindfulness. Or would you say all of it has to do with mindfulness? 
All of it. That's the whole thing. And so here we are. You know what it is. Y'all know the vibes. It's black in the garden. You black. You a yoga instructor. That's already, you know, a little fringe for black people as far as what our uh, commonly known hobbies are. But also very much a plant enthusiast. But it's to no surprise, of course, if she's discussing her appreciation for nature and she's been invited on the show, obviously, obviously, but let's get into mindfulness in your practice with plants. Yeah. So it, I think I, I have no problem practicing on my own cultivating home practice. I think is something that everyone should do because mindfulness isn't like a one size fits all. There's lots of different subsets that you can get into that are mm-hmm. better for others then, you know, for me, that could just be the case. And so I actually use the physical practice of yoga, which is called asana, the poses and whatnot, to mm-hmm. prepare my body to sit still better when I sit down for meditation. So I do a little practice. It could be a 10-minute practice. Or it could be an hour and a half long practice. It's whatever the body is telling me that I need. And it is and some people say that the Sanskrit definition of yoga means like unity, like unifying. And so I like to define it as I'm unifying my mind, body, spirit deeply so that I can remain interconnected to everything. Mm, so important. It, yeah. So like if something feels very tight or heavy in my body or my mind is racing a lot, I do a mindfulness practice and it can be, it can vary. But I will say that practicing what I consider not alone anymore is really nice. And I practice with my plants around me. It is very therapeutic to see them um, growing beside me or just to when I like flip backwards, I just see a leaf in my face. And that's like really exciting kind of deal because otherwise, you know, if you're in a studio, you're in a room full of 40 people, you see all kinds of faces. We haven't been able to do that. Plus I have this thing, I this thing about like people breathing near me. (laughs) I know that sounds counterintuitive as a yoga instructor, but I took a long time for me to get over that. I mean, we've been in a pandemic for a while (laughs) and the concept of having somebody breathing in close proximity to you, we, we are a lot more sensitive to that. Yes. It definitely was like, I was just very hyper aware of like how people breathe, was breathing around me when I was and this taking is before classes. pandemic. Yes. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, you good? <laughs> but I will That's say funny. I love breathing with my plants because since we all know the best biology of plants. They take in CO2, pump out some um, oxygen and stuff like that. That's it. And we have this And they don't have stank breath. Yeah, they don't. They, they smell beautifully. And I think that like envisioning when I'm meditating, doing my breath work in pranayama, just breathing with my plants and then taking in my breath and taking in their breath is like a very beautiful experience. Very it's intimate. Next level. Yeah. And then when I like after I'm done with my practice and I'm chugging some water, I look at one and I'm like, you can have some water too. <laughs> so Oh, <laughs> what an answer. Y'all just take that in. I feel like that's a word. We it's like I need to unpack that, but at the same time, we get that. Yeah. You're you're breathing in and your plants are like exhaling into you. Mm-hmm. You better connect. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And it's like when especially when you do it actually outside and full of nature. It's like one thing if you create an indoor jungle, that's cool. You start with that, right? Like let's some, yeah. some people are a little bit apprehensive about going outside and stuff or maybe nervous about someone thinks it's weird if they're sitting in the middle of the forest 
taking your breath. You start at home doing that and then you can take it outside. And so like I go on hikes and stuff like that. And hiking isn't ascending the tallest mountain. Literally hiking, the definition is just walking on a trail. That's what that is. It's not so that I think, yeah, it's not that deep. So I, I go walk on a trail. I get to a certain point. I sit on a rock or I sit on the ground and I just take a moment to take it all in. Just like feeling grounded through the base of my spine, sitting on the earth, feeling the breeze across me, the sun, the warmth of the sun on my face, the hearing like the water. Yeah, just really immersed. It's called technically forest bathing. Mm-hmm. It's when you sit in the middle of the forest and it's like sunbathing or moon bathing. It is. You, you do that and it just invigorates you in a special it way. It does a lot. It's also yeah. called earthing. Yeah. When you're just, you know, walking barefoot intentionally or unintentionally. As mm-hmm. long as your skin is making contact with the earth. As long as you are submerging yourself in natural surroundings, mm-hmm. the natural environment, there's a connection there. There's a magnetic connection. I remember reading about this some years ago. It definitely can like stabilize your pulse, your your blood pressure, something like that. You're familiar with this, right? Yes, for sure. I like it. you brought this up. We don't get to talk about it enough. People underestimate the power of like just even two minutes of breathing. Just two minutes of breathing and you just stay in a present moment just for two minutes. It really just shifts a lot in your body. And it's mainly because the way I teach my yoga classes and guide my meditations and whatnot and try to live my day-to-day life very mindfully because all mindfulness is, is can you be aware of the present moment, what is happening in the present moment, you and your body in the present moment. That is all that is. Mm-hmm. That's it. It can be when you're cooking. You are fully aware of like, oh, I really um, am getting hot because of the steam and I love the smell of the food that's- that I'm cooking like. That's a mindfulness practice. I love how you're describing how to embody mindfulness because our senses have everything to do with it. And and as I say that, and as I consider what you just said, it kind of helps me to make a connection about how, what our senses are for. Yes. They do help us to ground ourselves in mindfulness if we use all of our senses to get grounded in a space. Yes, 100%. Oh, now bring it all out of us. <laughs> and the scientific and more medical background for re- why this type of stuff works, like one little thing, it's not all encompassing what I'm about to say, but one little thing that I always like to tell people is that we typically spend all day in fight or flight mode, pretty stressed. We're always like going to the next thing, like really overwhelmed and trying to, you, don't you know, know life. so in the survival state and that is called our sympathetic nervous system now the opposite of that is what is called the rest and digest so when you are relaxed and in the present moment you are fully like you're able to rest and relax but like your food digests and you're also able to digest let's say like a tv show because you Mm -hmm. can just process that you're more likely to remember something if you're relaxed yes and so, like, kids are yes. really good at being in what is that state. It's called parasympathetic nervous system. So mm-hmm. they're, like, kids are, like, in the present moment all the time. Like, animals in the present moment at all times, right? And mm-hmm. that's really cool. burdened by the thoughts that us humans be having. Yes. To practice that is, like, just being mindful of, like, how does my breath feel? What is in my body? Am I even in my body? What is happening in my environment? It's just taking a moment to like assess that 
will help get you closer to like getting into the rest and digest nervous system. And so when we're doing practices, like the mindfulness practice with mindful walking, mindful eating, just meditation or anything like that, it allows us to shift the nervous systems and regulate ourselves a lot better. And sometimes we have what we call, and I encourage this in my classes when we do really deep stretches called Mm. parasympathetic releases, like stress or trauma stored in our body, in our muscle, fascia, tissue gets really bound up in there. And it's like what they're saying, like you feel very heavy. So to move that out, you have to use a breath and sometimes do a little bit of actual physical movement and be really aware of that. And it'll work its way out of your body through little tremors or it could be like for me, sometimes it comes out as sneezes or it'll come out as tears. Crying, I was just thinking that. Yeah, of course. Just swells up in you and you got to let it go and and that's like a very healthy way I find to cry. It's like when I'm like having a full on release, I'm like, oh, that thing that happened like three and a half weeks ago, that's yes. still in my body somehow. Okay, let me go ahead and let that out. Did and you so say laughing though? And that's why I just left, let that out. Yeah, but I laugh too. Yeah. <laughs> Dancing it out. That's my favorite. I put on Ooh. 70s music and I just dance and I sing and I just shake off the whole day. And it's funny because there's like, more modern techniques I would count as mindfulness like dancing or like there's more traditional ones like qigong which is like you will just physically like try to act like you're moving energy out Mm -hmm. of you Mm -hmm. and pulling it in there's a lot of ways to practice it but the most fun way for me is definitely with my plant when I am assessing my plan be like you need to be repotted so now I got to like baby you right now, the in the moment to not break any stems or leaves. I got to like feel the soil and clean up everything and like give you some nice warm temperature filtered water or maybe some rainwater I collected last week for you. Mm-hmm. And like really be in that moment and then looking at my plant afterwards be like, look at you, beacon of health. And it's like almost mm-hmm. like, yeah. And I just feel like I'm taking care of myself when I'm with my plant. And doing that too. So for any of you all listening, there's a countless things that count as a mindfulness practice. And if you have plants, you can do it by simply putting a plant in front of you and meditating and taking deep breaths in and out of your plant. And that will feel really good. Hey, Soil Cousins, before we get too deep into all this foraging talk, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to do when we get back in the house after, because you know you're going to be smelling like outside. And I want more for you. I want you to feel good and soft and clean and smell good and all that good stuff. So I want to tell you about our sponsor, Motherland Essentials, who is so gracious to provide Soil Cousins with 15% off. Let's just lead with that this time. Let's lead with that. You'll save 15% off your purchase of these beautiful artisanal soaps that are great for all skin types and good for the whole family. My whole family loves them, okay? You want to get your self-care essentials at motherlandessentials.com and you want to use the code Black in the Garden at the checkout so that you can support the podcast. We love that. I told y'all before and I'll tell you again, my favorite scent still to this day is the Teakwood, period. Not only is there a teakwood soap, but there's also a teakwood lotion bar. The kids really love the teakwood as well, even though I don't let them touch that one. (laughs) They use their oatmeal honey. (laughs) 
So that's how good it is. I don't even want them to touch it. All right. So that's my fave until further notice. And Motherland Essentials is here. It's black owned, providing you with self-care essentials, small batch, plant-based products. Go to motherlandessentials.com. Use code black in the garden at checkout to support the podcast and let us continue with this conversation. We had a conversation some time ago. I can't remember what year, this year or last, where you told us about your moon water and how oh, yeah. enriching it is to your big busting monsteras. Yeah, so I absolutely love everything about the moon. And I probably know mass level details about at this point. I love the moon. And I love living by the cycles. Of the moon. Yes. So it's really cool that like today um, we're doing this new on moon. a new moon. Yeah. New moon in Gemini, which means that the sun and the moon are in the same like visually constellation spot when we look up in the sky of Gemini. Mm-hmm. We can't actually see the moon right now. Probably where I'm at. So uh, <laughs> yeah, there's an see. eclipse today too. Which is really cool because it was just, we had a lunar eclipse happened um, a couple weeks ago and then we're having mm-hmm. the solar ones that was cool a full we're going to talk more about that in a minute yeah go ahead <laughs> so when the moon is full when we can see it all big and bright in the sky there's a time to charge up a lot of things so a lot of people like to charge up crystals you can physically charge yourself I like to envision that there's like this beautiful glittery dust pouring down from the moon onto me now, mm. the coolest thing is you can do one of two things with some water. You can take a jar of water, put it in the window seal, and let the moon light hit it, and that's charging that water. And then the second way you can do this is like if you don't see the moon because it's storming, you can go collect the storm water on a full moon and use that as well. Now, the first type you can drink, so that's cool because it's clean water you can put into tea yourself or you can use it however you want make it for your coffee or whatever the second one of rainwater that comes from a full moon i think is like the best kind of water to give to your plants because mm-hmm. it's rainwater, rainwater. yeah a hundred percent because rainwater is like champagne to plants they want it it has all those beautiful yes. nutrients in it and then it's been charged up by like the full moon and the moon moves all water on this earth all water in the leaves mm. It moves that, it moves the pools, the ocean tides higher and lower. It moves the the water in our bodies and our blood. And yeah, everything. pregnant women so, are more likely to give birth if they're due around the full moon. Yes, a hundred percent. So why not get like the supercharged of water from a full moon storm and feed that to your plants and then watch them grow bigger and bigger and bigger. I went from a two foot tall monstera to now I have a five foot tall monstera that's had nine haircuts and <laughs> does not want to stop growing and putting out a new leaf as we speak. I've made two propagations that I currently have in the apartment from that very monstera. The biggest one and the middle size one, which is my first propagation ever, they're next to each other. And then I have this really teeny one that's the most recent creation. They all started putting out a leaf at the exact same time. And I've never had that happen. It occurred after I got some rainwater from a super full moon. So a really big full moon. There's been a lot of the super moon and the eclipse. Like there's two eclipses in like a month. Mm -hmm. And then in between the one that's happening, that's happened today and the last one that happened was a new moon. Mm -hmm. 
So there was a lot happening here into all of that, but it affects us. It affects our plants, everything. Yes. And a hundred percent made my plants all put out at least at the same time. Cause I've never had them. It's kind of like a weird thing. So for them all to be at different ages, they're all mm-hmm. placed in different spots too mm-hmm. in the living room. Like they're not all like by a window or something like that. And so for all three of them to put out a leaf at the same time, I was like, oh, that was that, that super full moon water I dumped into all of them that like made that happen. That's pretty cool. And they're so, all from the same mother? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting yeah. too. Yeah. I love creating life. Even though like, I know I can't physically as a woman, but until I'm ready for that, I like to feel like a, a life creator when I propagate yeah. my plants and I get them to grow up nice and big and tall. So that's really exciting. But yo, so look, moon water. I've seen it firsthand. What she speaks of, that monstera got super duper huge. But as I was thinking about how we were going to talk today, this interview I was preparing. That's what, that's the word. I know the words. I was thinking about how I can see how people are more inclined to understand the way the sun affects things, especially plants, but perhaps not as understanding of or considerate of how the moon affects plants yes. and people. Why would you not? Like, wh- what does that make you think about? It's a bit frustrating because I, I mean, I understand people are like, for the sun i mean it does give a lot of life <laughs> kind of deal but the beauty in the history of understanding the moon and when things are to grow is very interesting because things like the full moon allow people to farm longer because mm-hmm. like they had the light to be able to be outside to continue to harvest and to plant things so that really makes yeah you know, makes a break of the difference if you don't have like a full gallon of like blueberries just because you didn't have enough time during the day to work on them. But also just like you plant a different moon cycles, you harvest a different moon cycle. There's a reason why the farmers almanac works the way that it does. That's the <laughs> whole also, point of it, right? Yeah, or like understanding how the moon and the sun dance in the sky for and like what that means for just simply like for your plants like in the winter the moon uh, likes to linger in the sky a lot longer than the sun so what do you do with that information you have to understand that the plants are going to be more at rest during that time of the year maybe not Mm -hmm. grow as fast and like Mm -hmm. honoring that like hey maybe that's a sign i should take a break too looking at the cycles and knowing that the moon isn't a sign of darkness is more of a sign of light, in my opinion, in the middle of the night. It's definitely light, yeah. So, and then think about, I know you know about the turtles. There's turtles who their mating time is completely centered around what the moon is doing. Yes. It's a lot of science nerds listening to this. It's okay, y'all. This is safe space. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like today, on this wonderful new moon, I like discovered, well, okay, like a couple of days I discovered, I like so I cultivate mushrooms here, um, gourmet mushrooms, and I recently discovered that my wine caps are growing again. They grew pretty aggressively about uh, like a few weeks ago. I don't know if that was it. I thought maybe they were scents. That's what we refer to it as. Like they just they've eaten up all their food and they're not going to grow anymore. Well, they well, done. Well, well. Yeah, they started to grow again. So I'm going to harvest today because I feel like on a new moon day, that sounds really fun to do and to log 
in my growing journey. So that's really exciting because I didn't think I was going to get anything cool like that. So I'm going to harvest those mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And you said wine cap? Mm-hmm. Wine cap mushrooms. They call them that because typically they're caps or burgundy color. Oh my God. I need to see pictures. Okay. So I'm glad that you mentioned mushrooms because I was getting so into the moon and everything else that I'd like to have the breeze by that. But okay. So if you know anything about my experience with mushrooms, it is totally attributed to being inspired by Carrington's pictorial introduction to mushrooms. And by that, I mean... I saw her growing mushrooms on Instagram and I was like, damn, this is lit. It's a black <laughs> girl. I feel like this is resounding with me. There was just something about seeing a black girl growing mushrooms that made me think, this is what I could be doing. Like, I didn't realize how much I associated that with things that white people do. That's what it was for me. So as much as I'm out here to influence everybody in that way, to know that this is something for all of us, I appreciate you for inspiring me. But that's my very, very long-winded way of asking you to tell us more about your mushroom growing adventures and how you got, how did you get started? You want my little heart when you say stuff like that. Um, so, <laughs> full circle on everything we've talked about. It's all that's because really of the theme. Yeah, like the whole yoga thing. Because yoga led me to be vegan through the practice of nonviolence. When a lot of things, like when you like are trying to do substitutes, and I, I transitioned over a five-year period, but I've been vegan now for five years. You look for a lot of substitutes. And I saw a real common one for meat was mushrooms. Mm. And I had never been afraid of mushrooms growing up. I would see them, thought they were cool. And mm. I would eat them on pizzas. Or if I got like some dish, if I had mushrooms, and I would pick it. I really liked the taste of it. I never had a bad experience eating them personally. but. When, like the first thing I ever heard of was doing fried oyster mushrooms as a vegan fried chicken substitute. And once I found those and made them, I was like, oh, this is great. So that was, yeah, like about six, seven years ago when I first tried that. And after that, I just always was willing to try all the variety of mushrooms outside of just the little ones we see, like I said, on pizza. There's so many um, different types. Yes. And so last year, because of the panorama, I was like, I need a new hobby to get me out of the house, but that doesn't require me to interact with people. And I started to get interested in um, foraging. (laughs) So when I would get off work, I would like harass my partner. I'd be like, can we go to the trails? I'm going to go like look around and just be outside for like 20 minutes. And he said, okay. And I discovered some mushrooms and I was like, I think these are the dumb expensive ones at Whole Foods are like $20 a pound. Mm. <laughs> and I was like really, I was super excited, but I was super nervous. I was like, let's just take a bunch of pictures and go home and ID them. And then we can come back the next day. So the trail is like 15 minutes away from us. Well, then I found that they were indeed the ones that I normally see that are at what Whole we call, Foods. yeah, at Whole Foods are choice edibles, They're, which means that everyone around the world agrees that they're like the best tasting and I was like hell yeah so the next day we went yep got them cooked them up in some vegan butter and because like that's the best way to try them the first time like any mushroom that you want to try you just cook it in vegan butter and put a little maybe a little salt pepper on it if you want just to eat it straight so that you can find out the flavor of it and then you can include it in future dishes and you guys see if it feels good in your stomach because 
mushrooms that would be fine for me might not be fine for you. It's not like a poison thing. It's just like some people's microgut biome is just different for the yeah. mushrooms. But yeah, it started just like that. At the end of August, I found some chanterelles. It was just great because then I went to Whole Foods to like look and see like the price of them again. And then I saw a grow kit, a little bag. And I was like, I'm going to grow my own um, oyster mushrooms at home. And that was my first kit. And it was great. It was a very hard learning experience, but they were delicious. And I felt really cool about growing my own food. Yeah. And that post on Instagram blew me up. And I was like, this is it. This is it. Look it's, at that. It's the mushrooms. The people like the mushrooms. I like the mushrooms. They're going to roll with it. And it's yeah. just been me and mushrooms for the last like, like eight, nine months now just going at it. <laughs> yeah. And you've even partnered with a mushroom growing company, right? Mm-hmm. North Spore, mm-hmm. they are a phenomenal company. And there's plenty out there, like there's Back in the Roots, there's Nearby Naturals, all those cool mushroom companies. And I'm sure everyone where you are locally, if you go to a farmer's market, you're going to find out there's mushroom growers in your hometown because they're very mm. easy to grow. But they grow much faster than a plant and they you do. can eat it. And it's great. I am very grateful for my partnership with them because they really facilitate my exploration as a very novice cultivator and I recently figured out that they were kind of like oh let's see if it works too I was like I don't have a yard I live in a one-bedroom apartment I have a patio though yeah. I'm gonna figure out how to grow out on mushrooms outside because a lot of people were asking me like my kids are not gonna let like it if I grow mushrooms inside so can I do this outside and I was like I'm gonna figure out a cool way to grow them outside and so I created the crate method it's very similar to other people's basket methods but I did it with mushrooms that normally that require an actual yard or require mogs but I pulled okay. it off that's like my only claim to fame at this point I like innovated oh. that you can like grow mushrooms <laughs> in a crate on your patio <laughs> with a bunch of straw That's and a bunch an of innovation. soil. And innovation is an innovation. And you did that. But I have to ask a very important question because if you know the basic tidbits about mushroom growing, like I do, that's just, that's all I got for you. Then you know that they don't necessarily grow in full sun. Is that correct? Or is that yes. some of them, most of them? Most of them. Like I would say, I, I've never seen a mushroom in long sun. So with that question in mind, what is your patio light situation like that gave you the confidence to decide that mushrooms will grow in that space? Yeah. So the type of, so each mushroom, doesn't matter which one, they all typically have like growing seasons that are better if you're doing them outside or like when Mm -hmm. you go forage for them, they only grow at certain times of the year. Um, And then the region you're in makes a difference for what you're going to have most success with. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there are they are just like plants in terms of like you need partial uh, sunlight, like like bright indirect sunlight, mm. and it needs to be shaded though for sure. And then they do need water because they're like they're not a plant and they're not an animal. They're in between that, so they they have they wow. they are living to some extent. I had mine on my patio, and during this time of the year, the sun is out on the west side in the afternoon. There was a tree in front of the patio that blocked it for a couple hours, but they were getting direct sun pretty much for a few hours in the evening. 
So it was just in the evening though. So like all day, they were pretty much fine. I covered them with a tarp so they would stay humid. Like some of our pickier plants, like a colosio, you know, need some humidity and everything. And I watered them every three days, just like a house plant. And they were fine. The amount of sun you give a mushroom determines how quickly it will dry out and determines the color. Mm-hmm. And I tested this out that if you give certain mushrooms more light than others, like instead of a blue oyster being blue, it would turn gray. Or my golden oyster mushrooms, they were very vibrantly yellow, like aggressively mm-hmm. yellow, um, mm-hmm. just because they had the perfect indirect sunlight situation. Mm-hmm. So you all can do it. Anyone can do it. If I can do it, yay, you can do it. So, okay. You figured out the conditions. You got humidity levels right. It sounds like you were pretty scientific in your assessment of how you were going to provide light to them. And is there any fertilization that's necessary? I will tell you this. It sounds like I'm like super, super knowledgeable and scientific. This is the real rationale that went through my head when I first did it. I was like, mm-hmm. look, I know mushrooms decompose. They just need some soil. And I need something to eat up. Therefore, I took a crate. I sprayed it down with rubbing alcohol to make sure it wasn't contaminated. And then I just started pouring in some soaked straw, like like hay, so they could eat that. And it keeps the thing moist. You put in compost soil. Or like you can use miracle probably, but like I got some compost soil, some bulk, Mm -hmm. called bulk substrate. You put down little mushroom seeds. It's really called spawn, but it's yeah. easier to describe as seeds. And I just layered that like a little mushroom parfait, or some people Ooh. call it mushroom lasagna. And I covered Yummy. it up with a little piece of uh, plastic. I watered it every few days. And I was like, maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't. <laughs> yes, you rolled the dice. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of faith. And I had a lot of like, I guess like, it's kind of like when we talked about manifesting. I was like, this is going to work because mushrooms go everywhere all the time. There's no reason for it not to work. And so all I got to do is tend to it and nurture it and pour all my heart into it. But not become attached with like the final result. But I did only grow mushrooms because I like eating. So that's it. The food that's in me fair, does... but you do like growing stuff though. Don't, don't front. Yes, I do like growing stuff. I will say that I tried to grow vegetables and herbs in the past and was not very successful because they felt like they were super needy to me. And I didn't have that <laughs> type okay. of attention to do. The they mushrooms take are the Yeah, they take, yeah. yeah. So for anyone listening from like, uh, like really true start to finish to do this, growing mushrooms at home, if you want to do it from the jump, it's like a, like a two-month process um, to do it, like where they give you a kit. The it's kit. like a, a yeah, the kit's like a ten-day process. It's beautiful. They're what super cookie. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. eat. Whereas, like, if you want to grow carrots, that's like a three to six-month ordeal. Yeah, and that's just like not for me. <laughs> yeah, a grow kit will save you a lot of time, but a grow kit will have you out here feeling like, yo, I'm a mushroom farmer. Yes, that's exactly how I felt when I get to my kids. I was like, oh, I'm a true farmer now. I'm a good yee-yee girl. Yee-haw. Because <laughs> I can grow my own food now. And you it was about great. The boots, y'all. She got the boots yes. and everything. Yes. They're I have, vegan boots, I'm imagining. Yes, they are. I, I scouted the, the deep dark webs to find vegan cowgirl boots. 
It's oh. great to have little overall and and it is great That's because so... grew all those mushrooms just so that I can taste them because I can't get them in the store. So I was like, how am I going to deprive myself of experience? Like, because I would go to farmers markets, I'm like, oh, it's kind of expensive. But growing them myself was a lot more entertaining and a lot more fulfilling Price, and cost effective. Yeah, cost effective. The price very... of a pound or two of mushrooms is the price of the kit. Yes. It's like, that's why when people say like a mushroom is a meat substitute, I'm like, yeah, because meat don't be, it's good meat. Don't the be protein. cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the good, the good mushrooms don't be cheap at all. <laughs> yeah. And now mm-hmm. I know why. Now I'm fully aware why they price it like that. But I'm also like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just grow my yeah. stuff now. So I would like to empower everyone, especially black people to get into mushrooms because it, they are so exciting in every way and they're so delicious and just and just do it just yeah. just get into mushrooms those i grew pink oyster mushrooms they were so busting y'all they was bomb.com delicious. yours were gorgeous lit thank you they were pink i was very i cared a lot about the color I can't really tell you specifically what my light situation was. It was absolutely indirect sun, but it was primarily indirect sun. Just a little dappled light from the blinds. But those pink, they came out so pink. You can see them on my Instagram if you're interested. But shout out to you for being the inspiration for that. Thank you for giving us some insight as to how we can grow ours, how you grew yours, your innovation. I love the concept of that. We can't call it a vegetable. I don't know. Let's call it a vegetable for the sake of keeping it simple. Mushrooms and they're being considered as one of like the more fancy, more expensive um, things that you can eat, especially if you're considering veganism. And there's already a misconception around veganism that it is a more expensive way to eat. I feel it is important to take note on a show like Black in the Garden where we're centering Blackness and things and understanding the health disparities and how access to certain types of food and access to information about how to live a healthier type of life that is afforded with veganism. It's important to understand that the ability to grow your own food, especially a food that would otherwise be an astronomical price if you have access to the store that sells it, or completely out of your range as far as where you're able to go. There's a reason why Whole Foods is not in the hood. It's just not. Mm -hmm. It is definitely, you know, if it is in the hood, it is the sign that the hood is not going to be the hood for that much longer because it is an indication of impending gentrification. When the Whole Foods gets there, they're on the way, okay? Gentrification is like, it's on your, it's too late to try to figure it out. But there's that. That's another conversation for another time. But I did feel that 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 was a point worth emphasizing out of that whole conversation about growing oysters. And that's really how you got started. You were just like, them mushrooms is expensive, girl. Like, I had to figure it out. And you did. And you're here having this conversation with me, undoubtedly inspiring some other folks to grow their own mushrooms or whatever it is you feel is out of your reach. So, amen to that. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. <laughs> well, everyone can find me 
on pretty much every social media, but definitely on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at with Carrington. I write a blog um, called um, Parts Home Grown with Carrington. That's my business as well. So that is www.partshomegrown.com. And I, I put out information on mushrooms, on the best vegan foods to try, and how to, mm. how to like have a better life overall with mindfulness. So I can be found there. And I, I definitely respond to comments and DMs. So definitely, if you are listening to this, podcast let me know if you found me through here so that Colin and I can guess about it <laughs> I know but, right like, like yes yeah and I am so grateful that I got to have this discussion with you I have so much love and respect for you and I am grateful Aww. that you allow me to be myself fully and uncensored. don't make me cry okay thank you for being all the things we love the dimples. We love the hair. We didn't even get to talk about the curls, but y'all, they popping. <laughs> Go look. The Instagram is linked in the show notes. Thank you, Carrington. Y'all go find her on all them places, support in all the ways. So the plant care consulting. Yes. Oh, so I do have plant consultations as Girl, well for anyone. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I, <laughs> I do have some consultations as well that will accommodate your schedule. And I also teach mindfulness classes a few times a week. And I'm going to start posting more on YouTube so that I can more mm. on-demand content to make it more accessible for everyone. Check this out as well. Thank you. All right. Well, Carrington, it has been a pleasure. I'm going to wish you love, light, and soil. And we out. <laughs>